right, so we all have blind spots. Uh, sin, blind spots, blind spots to our sin. Um, we're often better at spotting and pointing out sin in others than seeing it in ourselves. And we know that money can be an idol, right? Um, Jesus said in Matthew 6, in fact, I think it was, you know, Mark read it earlier, Matthew 6, 24, no one can serve two masters for either he will, actually it was the context, lay up treasure in heaven. Um, no one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. But there is something about money, something about greed, whether that's of the stingy, tight-fisted variety or the selfishly lavish, wasteful variety, something about greed that can be particularly hard to see. So Jesus actually said in Luke 12, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed, like keep your eyes peeled. And in Counterfeit Gods, Tim Keller um, has a a chapter on money because, again, money can be a counterfeit god, a a functional savior, substitute god. And he says that Jesus never said anything like that regarding adultery. Okay, if you are in bed with someone who's not your spouse, you know it. You know that it's adultery. Nobody weeks into an affair thinks, wait, I think this is adultery. You already know what it is. But greed can hide better in our hearts. And it can be there in our hearts whether we are rich or poor, whether we abound or whether we lack. So we need wisdom to see our hearts and grace to root out any idolatry with regard to money. So a wise posture for all of us, certainly me included, is not to look around and think, oh, the theme is money this morning, by the way, okay? But not to look around and think, well, I sure hope so-and-so listens to this this morning. Or to be smugly self-righteous if you are disciplined in your budgeting and your giving, you know, like, yeah, let's see how he covers this. And I really hope that... But Lord, shine the spotlight on my heart. Help me see what I need to see. Where are my blind spots? I want you alone to be my God. I want to serve you alone and have no other gods before you. So as we draw our series in the book of Proverbs to a close, um, this last message in Proverbs is on money. Okay, So we we looked at the first nine chapters, which are more um, coherent in their structure and... um, kind of like a narrative, thematic one to the next. We went, by that, went through that section, section by section. And then for the remainder of the book, we've been hitting themes that are repeated through the book of Proverbs. We looked at friendship and words and emotions and work and so forth. So this is our last Sunday in this Proverbs series. And then the next two weeks, we're going to actually, um, as a church family, focus on fasting and prayer next week, and then feasting and praise the week before Thanksgiving. So hopefully kind of a tune our hearts at this time of year. So that's where we're headed before we head into the season of Advent. And the month of December, we're going to look at John 1.
we're going to walk through that little section by section um, in anticipation of um, our celebration of the first advent of Christ. So Proverbs is wisdom literature, the book of books on wisdom in the Bible. Um, And as we've noted through the series, we gave a definition of wisdom. It's skill or competence for living life as God intended, going with the grain of God's universe. So it begins and is built on the foundation of the fear of the Lord. That's the motto of the book, 1-7. You see it again in 9-10. The fear of Yahweh is the beginning of wisdom, which means we recognize If we have wisdom, we recognize that God is God and we are not. He is wise, infinitely, perfectly wise. We are foolish without him. We dare not be wise in our own eyes. Wisdom is not found within. It's outside of us, and we need to receive it from God. We need a humble posture to receive it from him. We need God to teach us his wisdom. We need his grace to embrace that wisdom and live it out because wisdom in the Bible is not merely an intellectual category. It's not just information for our heads to be book smart merely. But we need grace for our hearts to embrace and be shaped by that truth. And we need grace because inevitably there's a moral ethical component to wisdom. Embracing and living out in our will and attitudes and actions. So we need wisdom in every sphere of life this morning, including money. We need to trust in the Lord with all our heart, not leaning on our own understanding. In all of our ways, we need to acknowledge God as God, including money, so that he's the one directing our steps, our paths. So watch even how money follows so closely on the, on the heels of those well-known verses in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. So you have 1-7, the motto of the book. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. This is foundational for all the issues that are going to be hit in this book. And then Proverbs 3, 7 says, Don't be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. And then, first concrete expression of this, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. So verse 9, honor the Lord with your wealth, is a concrete application of trusting in the Lord with all your heart. And then in verse 10, then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. So verse 10, in a sense, is a concrete illustration of verse 6. He will make straight your paths. Or verse 8, it will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. So you see the parallelism there in those verses. So generally speaking, when we trust in Yahweh and honor him with our wealth, he provides what we need and often well beyond so that we can bless others as he's blessed us. So the book of Proverbs is certainly not so simplistic as to ignore or be ignorant of the fact that the righteous can suffer deep poverty. So other verses that come later will add layers of nuance to this statement in 3, 9, and 10, but verses 9 and 10 are most certainly true. So we could also 
note the parallel between that section and, again, the Sermon on the Mount. Mark referenced it this morning. Jesus says not to worry about material provision, what you're going to eat, drink, wear. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these necessities will be added to you. So trust in the Lord with all your heart, and he will direct your steps. Honor the Lord with your wealth, and you'll have everything you need. So we can see how the topic of money fits squarely in the central thematic structure of Proverbs. Fear the Lord, beginning of wisdom. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. But how, how could we summarize the, the kind of emphasis or um, the purpose of this message? Like, what's the main point? What does the book of Proverbs say about money? Well, I think Proverbs 11.28 is probably the best nutshell summary of money wisdom in the book of Proverbs. So we're going to come back to this over and over again. Proverbs 11.28, if you were to summarize it in one sentence, one statement, whoever trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish like a green leaf. Okay, so that's the big idea. That's the main point. As for an outline, where we're headed, here's the outline. Four points. To be wise, we must first recognize the risks of money. Two, the limits of money. Then point three, we're going to consider the only prayer in the book of Proverbs. Did you know there's only one prayer in the book of Proverbs? We're going to look at it this morning. And then fourthly, we're going to consider money's infinite value. So if you were paying attention, I just said money has a limited value, and it also has an infinite value. And I'm not speaking out of both sides of my mouth. There's one sense in which it's very limited. We need to recognize that if we're going to be wise. There's another sense in which money has infinite value, and we need to really consider that if we want to be wise. So first, monetary risk, point number one. To be wise... We've got to recognize and internalize money's dangers and risks, okay? It is very possible and a great temptation to put your trust in money. And again, we can have blind spots here, particularly in the West, where in a sense, globally speaking, we're all rich. Proverbs 10, 15, a rich man's wealth is his strong city. The poverty of the poor is their ruin. Or, again, our kind of thematic verse or our main point summary verse, nutshell verse, Proverbs eleven twenty eight: whoever trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish like a green leaf. So trusting in riches is a precarious, unstable foundation. Wealth can be a blessing and used to be a blessing, but trusting in your wealth is the path to destruction and curse. It's a setup for an inevitable downfall. So look again. Think about, again, at, think again about Proverbs eleven twenty eight. 28. Notice the parallelism and how it works. Um, this is oftentimes the case in Proverbs. The first line says one thing. The second line, um, in kind of a short, pithy sort of way, We've talked about this before. Sometimes you have two lines that say four things rather than just two things. 
okay? So it's implied that the righteous do not trust in riches. So whoever trusts in his riches will fall. It doesn't say, but the righteous don't trust in their riches, okay? That's implied. That's obvious. The righteous instead will flourish like a green leaf. So righteous do not trust in riches. Whoever trusts in his riches is not righteous, That's another implication. He's worshiping the wrong master. She's building her life on the wrong foundation. She's not secure. But the righteous, they will not fall. They will flourish. So to reinforce, kind of expand on this contrast, um, again, this verse was referenced earlier in the service, Proverbs 18.10. In fact, turn there to Proverbs 18.10 and 11. These verses are going to be on the screen If it's just one verse, you know, if you want to follow along that way, but there's going to be several places where I'd encourage you to turn um, to these passages and and kind of note what's happening carefully. Proverbs 18, 10, 11, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs into it and is safe. A rich man's wealth is his strong city. You see that vital contrast between verse 10 and 11. And like a high wall... His wealth is like a high wall in his imagination. Okay, so the righteous trust in Yahweh. He's their strong tower. They run to him and they're safe and secure regardless of what they have or don't have, whether they have a lot, whether they have a little. The rich man's wealth is his place of safety and security, but is a false security. His strong city is actually a castle in the sky, a figment of his Imagination. It's not real safety, not real security. The bubble can burst at any moment. We know this, right? In America, market, stock, stock market. Let me try that again. Stock market bubbles. Man, how many times do I need to? Okay, stock market bubbles, tech bubbles burst, housing bubbles burst. Okay, in other words, trusting in the invisible Yahweh is real safety. Wisdom says trusting in the invisible, faithful God is real safety. Trusting in visible wealth is false, faux safety that cannot save. It's like building your life on the sand. Like for instance, and maybe very obviously, but worth saying, when the terminal diagnosis comes, money can get you the best health care, but it cannot save you from death. So we've got to heed this Wisdom regarding money's risks because whoever trusts in his riches will fall. Proverbs 23 strikes the warning again. Do not toil to acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to to desist. When your eyes light on it, it's gone. For suddenly it sprouts wings flying like an eagle toward heaven. In other words, don't put your hope in wealth. Eugene read it, same idea in 1 Timothy 6. As for the rich in this present age, verse 17, charge them not to be haughty nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches. It can just fly away. But instead, set your hopes on God. Proverbs 28, 20. A faithful man will abound with blessings, but whoever hastens to be rich, desires to be rich, and goes after that as his goal, will not go unpunished. And again, 1 Timothy 6 strikes the same warning. Those who desire to be rich fall into temptation 
into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. There, is, there are wise warnings with regard to wealth. We can't afford to leave this area in our blind spot. Money can be an idol for the rich, for the poor. It can supplant God's rightful place at the center of our lives. It can be a counterfeit God that we trust in, a functional savior that we look to to deliver us from what we fear and deliver to us what we desire. But wisdom says, whoever trusts in his riches, Proverbs eleven twenty eight again, will fall, but the righteous will flourish like a green leaf. So as we sit at the sage's feet, that's lesson number one. Lesson number two is about money's limited value. Okay, so point number two. Um, wisdom is worth more than money. That's one way that we see money's relative and lesser value. So Proverbs 3, 13 to 15. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding for the gain from her, from wisdom and understanding, is better than the gain from silver. And her profit's better than gold. She's more precious than jewels. Nothing that you desire can compare with her. So remember when Paul wrote to Timothy, 2 Timothy, he said, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, tra training in righteousness. One of the ways that that happens is this is better than that. Being trained in what's right and wrong, what's better, like your value system being shaped by God's value system. And all over the place in the Proverbs, this is better than that. This is more valuable, worth more than that. So money has a very limited value. It's not worth as much as wisdom. So then you have these kinds of verses that flow from that point when we're considering money's limited value. Proverbs 15, 16 to 17. Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble with it. You see? The fear of the Lord is worth way more than great treasure. I'd rather have a little and have the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble. Or verse 17, better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a fattened ox and hatred with it. Bruce Waltke summarizes like this. He's got an excellent commentary on Proverbs. He says, money's, limited, money's value is limited. It can build a house, but not a home. It can put food on the table, but not fellowship around it. Wisdom, however, gives both material well-being and spiritual life. Again, whoever trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish like a green leaf. God wants us to flourish like a green leaf. And he's saying, trust me. Welcome my wisdom. So, with the dangers and the risks and the limits in mind, as we approach the conclusion of the book of Proverbs, the sage says, it's time to pray. 
So point number three, the one prayer in Proverbs. Turn to Proverbs 30, verses 7 to 9. Again, it's the only prayer in the book of Proverbs, and I think probably goes without saying, but we would be wise to pray this. Not in some sort of mechanical way, but to allow this to teach and shape our value system and guide what we want and what we pray for. So Proverbs 30, verses 7 to 9. Two things I ask of you. Deny them not to me before I die. First, remove far from me falsehood and lying. We're not going to unpack that this morning just because of our focus on money. Two, give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. So how about that for ambition? <laughs> like, do you resonate with that, the ambition of that prayer? Okay, Lord, two things I want before I die. Obviously, falsehood and lying, remove those from me, but don't give me poverty or riches. I mean, how many of us, you know, maybe we're not totally fixated on it, but boy, it'd really be nice to be independently wealthy. Maybe we actively pursue that. How many of us desperately wish that we had just a little more? Then we wouldn't have to be so anxious, then things will be better. We can subtly believe the lie that contentment is actually just around the next corner of personal financial improvement, however it comes. But who of us is praying like this? Like, oh God, don't make me too rich or too poor. And here's the key. Why does he pray this way? He prays this prayer because he, and he desperately wants it to be answered, Deny this not to me before I die, okay? He's praying this way because he fears the Lord. He doesn't want to deny or dishonor his God. God's name, God's renown are the desire of his soul, to use the language of Isaiah 26, 8. He longs for God's name to be hallowed and not belittled or dragged through the mud by his life. And he sees the dangers if he has too much or too little and he could end up in the ditch on either side. So this wise man's prayer is like an ancient Near Eastern version of the themes and prayer of Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. Do you hear some of the echoes? I mean, this is what it sounds like to seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness, knowing that all these things will be added as well. So he's trusting God to meet his needs, but what he really wants, what he really focuses on is the greater goal of honoring God's name. He knows that money's a good servant, but a terrible master. If we wish to be wise, we've got to guard against anything that would displace God at the center of our lives. The danger is present whether we have much or have very little. We all need to have no other gods before God, to love God with all of our heart and soul, mind, and strength. So we pray, guard me, lest I deny you and profane your name. Guard me from the pitfalls of plenty and pride that oftentimes goes with it, thinking too highly of myself and operating independently 
of God as if I don't desperately need him. Guard me from the pitfalls of lack and covetous longing, doubting your goodness and faithfulness. Like, come on, God, throw me a bone. Give me, give us this day our daily bread. You can also hear how the sage's prayer is like a more specific version of lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil, right? He fears the evils, the dangers, the ditches on both sides of the path. On the one side, lest I be fool and deny you and say, who is, who is Yahweh? Again, our hearts can just be spring-loaded to be independent, to operate as if we don't need God. And abundance can magnify that tendency. We lose touch with our need. We gain a false sense of security. We have a lot of things to fall back on. And we can also begin to think too highly of ourselves. We can also become self-righteous and think that we're better than other people. But listen, this is true for every human being on the planet. This is certainly true for every Christian on the planet. You don't provide for you. Your employer doesn't provide for you. Yahweh provides for you. You know that, well, I work really hard for that. Even your ability to get wealth comes from him. You familiar with Deuteronomy 8? They were about to head into the promised land. They're going to benefit from trees that they didn't plant. And so Moses, God, God through Moses, preaches to the people, beware lest you say in your heart, my power and my might, the might of my hand, have gotten me this wealth. No, no, no. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you not just the wealth, but the power to get wealth. So to have riches can lead us slowly, surely to stop depending on the Lord on a regular basis. Like frog in the kettle, your conscience become, can become calloused and you can lose touch with your dependence and need. Who's the Lord? I mean, maybe you wouldn't consciously say that, but you function that way. It's a danger. It's a ditch. So let's not ever let money separate us from God and lead us to operate as if we can be independent of him. Thus the wisdom of this prayer. On the other side, the ditch on the other side, lest I be poor and steal. So some of us may have stolen out of fear and taken matters into our own hands. I went through a phase when I was a kid, like stole a bunch of stuff. Maybe you need to repent, make it right, trusting in the Lord just like Zacchaeus and salvation comes to your house today. But maybe many of us are just kind of tempted to blow right past this and write it off. I'm not stealing it. Well, remember, we've got blind spots. We need the searchlight of the Spirit using the word and the wisdom of God to show us what's really going on in our motives and our actions. Like, why do people cut corners in business in their taxes or why do we refuse like we're like such a knee-jerk kind of spring-loaded reaction if someone says that you might be responsible for the error we are very slow to own up that we might be the cause of the problem for the customer have you ever bumped into this let's say you're on the other side of it with car repair and and you know what if you're not a mechanic you don't know but have you ever had a mechanic, you know, like 
well, it wasn't making this sound before. They're like, oh yeah, it's probably our fault. Let, me, let, let us check. Like, well, no, it's not us. This is another thing. And you just don't know. But you're suspicious, right? Why are you suspicious? Because you know human nature. Because you know your own heart, maybe. Or home repair, the same thing can happen. So we fear, what happens in that moment is we fear the poverty, the economic hit, the cost that honesty, integrity will mean. So again, careful, lest I fear. Be poor and fear and steal. Take matters in my own hands. So you heard about my roofing woes last week. Um, and how I allowed it to affect me too much because we were talking about emotions last week and I lost control of my anger when I spilled a can of sparkling water. Um, well, Don Shin, roofer that he is, generously offered to help me finish the roof last Sunday afternoon. And he's not here this morning, so don't tell him that I used this. He'd probably hate that I would use this illustration. So we had several hours to talk on the, on the roof in the afternoon while we were finishing that thing up. He told me the story of a roof that he'd done for someone years and years ago. And there were some problems with it. And they tried to just repair it but he realized it was their mistake and it was going to be really expensive to replace and a really costly hit. And he did the right thing and like went to the homeowner and owned it and you know, he didn't know how that was going to affect the business, like how severe the cost could be to the business. He could hardly afford the hit at the time, but he replaced the roof, took the hit and moved on and it ended up being a huge blessing because of the word of mouth like recommendation this guy gave. Now, is God always obligated to kind of bless us like that in response to us trusting him? No. Sometimes you're only rewarded in eternity. But there also are, going with the grain of the universe, God's universe, trusting and honoring him, he honors that and blesses it. Just an example of pushing back by faith against that inclination of fear. So in these times of temptation, God is saying, trust me, I'll take care of you. We can fear the economic hit. So saints, let's join the sage in praying this wise prayer. Provide what I need, Lord. Guard me from evil, from the ditch on either side. We should fear denying God and profaning his name. God's glory is his motivation here. It should be our motivation. We want to hallow your name. Hallowed be your name. I don't want to lie about your goodness and your ability to provide for your people. Help me trust you and not fear and freak out and give way to those fears and cheat or lie or take matters into my own hands in one way or another. Glorifying God is way more important than how much you have in the bank. And you can glorify God whether you have a little bit in the bank or a lot in the bank. So this is a wise prayer. We would do well to take it on our lips regularly. Contentment does not come from how much you have. It comes from having Christ. It doesn't come from having more, but from having Christ and his strength. Remember Philippians 4? Paul said, I have learned... This is not something that you just learn in your head. This is something that you learn working out that trust in real life. I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low 
and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And by Paul's example, he's commending the same wise posture, orientation of life, to the Philippians and to us. And then he strengthens their faith with the glorious promise of verse 19, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Trust him, trust him, trust him with all your heart. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. We want to hallow his name, not deny and drag his name through the mud. So when you and I follow Paul's example here, glory goes to our God and Father. His name's hallowed in our lives. Book of Hebrews says the same thing. A book all about living by faith, right? And in Hebrews 13, 5, it says, keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. How? How are you going to do that? Well, know who you have and know who will never leave you or forsake you. He has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And then those same themes are echoed in 1 Timothy 6 as well. We'll pass on that for now. But again, Proverbs eleven twenty eight: whoever trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous who trusts in Yahweh will flourish like a green leaf. There's this old school commentator named William Arnaud, and he says this so well. Just read this one carefully with me when it's on the screen. Wealth is desired or dreaded in the prayer of Proverbs 37 and 9. Not for its own sake, but as it might serve to help or to hinder the progress of grace in his soul. So money is subservient to that purpose, whether a little or a lot. It's especially worthy of notice that while he sees in the foreground two opposite temptations, pride on this side and dishonesty on that, ungodliness to which both heirs equally lead is the ultimate object of his fear. More than wealth or poverty, more than even pride and dishonesty, he feared an unstable heart leading him to sin against God. The Lord will preserve those who so fear him. And then just let this sink in. The common method of men is to set this world's good silently in the center of their aim and cram in as much religion at the edges as space will hold. The method adopted here by the sage in Proverbs 30 is the reverse. It is first, how shall I please God? And then let my relations to the world take shape accordingly. If we make Christ the master, he will make the world wait upon his children. But if we permit the world to be master, we have no part in Christ. If we put either object, of its proper, if we put either object out of its proper place, we thereby destroy for ourselves its value. The wealth which is ranked first will not satisfy. The religion which is dragged in second will not save. So finally, with money's risks and limits in view, and with this wise prayer of the sage echoing in our ears, let's turn finally to money's unlimited value. So money has purpose, provides many opportunities, with all of its dangers and limits, it can actually be used to do immeasurable good. In fact, the sky's the limit, literally. So first, it's a way to honor God. Proverbs 3, 9, we considered that. You can, you can honor the Lord with your wealth. 
Again, whether you have a little, whether you have a lot. God provides us with good things for our enjoyment. So money and what it provides is a way to enjoy God's good gifts and give him thanks and praise as the giver of all those good gifts. Proverbs 10, the blessing of the Lord makes rich and he adds no sorrow with it. When you gain money through, you know, righteous means and you trust him, you can give thanks and enjoy those blessings. We don't have to be ascetics. 1 Timothy 6, 17, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. But God's good gifts and his provision are never just for us, okay? We're not intended to be cul-de-sacs, but conduits of his blessing to others. So actually turn to Proverbs 11 for this because we actually have a series of verses here in a row. Um, We won't look at all of them, but where it, it strikes this theme of money's incredible value. Proverbs 11, 24. One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. So God is sovereign over material blessing. When you are faithful and generous with little, oftentimes he will entrust you with more so that you can be faithful with more and give more. If you're unfaithful in much or little, often he will take it away from you. Whoever's faithful in a little will be faithful in much. Whoever is unfaithful in a little will be unfaithful in much. 11, Proverbs 11.25, whoever brings blessing will be enriched. And the one who waters, refreshes others, will himself be watered. So there's this boomerang effect. There's a boomerang effect of sin, but there's also a boomerang effect to generosity. With the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. You reap what you sow. It's more blessed to give than to receive. Proverbs eleven twenty six. the people curse him who holds back grain, but a blessing is on the head of him who sells it. So people bless those who are a blessing and curse those who are selfish toward the community. Grain was a necessary staple of the ancient Near Eastern diet. So to hold back grain, why would you do that? It would be selfish. You'd hold it back to increase demand, to drive up the price for your own selfish advantage to the disadvantage of the community. It's exploitation, because you can. So you would be preying on people's desperation and need, like you'd be preying on their need, like taking, taking advantage of their need in order to line your pockets. That is unrighteous, that's wicked. Proverbs twenty-eight twenty-seven: whoever gives to the poor will not want, but he who hides his eyes will get many a curse. Again, same theme, just repeated in different ways, looking at the diamond from different angles. Proverbs 14, 21, whoever despises his neighbor is a sinner, but blessed is he who is generous to the poor. So Ray Ortland writes, selfishness is poverty, generosity is wealth. And then one final quote here, Bruce Waltke, he basically says, this is a really key principle that you see over and over again in the book of Proverbs. It goes like this, the righteous are willing to disadvantage themselves to advantage the community. The wicked are willing to disadvantage the community to advantage themselves. So whoever trusts in his riches will fall. 
that the righteous will flourish like a green leaf. And not only that, the righteous will use their wealth to help others flourish like a green leaf. Okay, so you see the unlimited value, like there's so much opportunity to bless and help and serve and advantage the community by being willing to disadvantage yourself. Now, where does the power come from to do this? To root out the idolatry of money when we see it. To care more about our own honor than God's honor. To care about our own comfort, control, than trust God with the control. Where does that power come from? Well, it comes from, I think you know where I'm going here with this, but hear this again. Jesus is the wisdom and the righteousness of God. He is the ultimate righteous and wise one. He is the one who disadvantaged himself. Oh, what an understatement, right? To advantage us, what an understatement. Our sinful debt was infinite. We could never pay it. Those songs were so, so appropriate this morning. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my riches gain is counted as loss. Like, were the whole realm of nature mine? Like, it would just be this pathetic little offering. Like, such love is worthy of everything because the love is infinite. He just disadvantaged himself beyond what we can even begin to grasp. Brothers and sisters, do you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ? I mean, like, do you know it? Like, down in here, the Lord, I, I know this verse, I know 2 Corinthians 8, 9, but, like, the Lord was helping me know it this morning, and I pray that it would happen in your own heart, that your heart would just sing with gratitude and joy at how he has graced you so lavishly and generously in Christ, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, infinitely rich, he didn't owe us anything. He didn't have to come. We're, we've, got, we've amassed this infinite debt. He could just justly condemn and consign us to eternal debtor's prison with no appeal. He'd be perfectly righteous and just. We have no hope. But we know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. That is like infinite condescension. We can't ever plumb the depths of how amazing that condescension is. To take on flesh and become a slave, even to the point of death, death on a cross, so that we, by his poverty, might become rich. The riches of his mercy lavished on us, adopted as beloved sons and daughters into the family of the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the owner of all things. And if we are heirs of God, if we're his family, his children... Everything that he owns is ours. So Lord, help us know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for our sake he became poor so that we by his poverty might become rich. When we know that grace and that generosity of our Lord Jesus, his grace, the riches of his mercy, the fullness of his promises, it frees us. It fills us and frees us and enables us to willingly, cheerfully disadvantage ourselves in order to advantage others. We could never disadvantage ourselves 
beyond how God has advantaged us by Jesus disadvantaging himself. Like we can never outgive God. The gospel is the only power to root out greed and fear and control and selfishness and make us a cheerful, willing, generous giver. We say it like this, you know, whether it's the slide before the service or when we give like a monthly financial update, Christian giving is an act of worship. All we have comes from God in response to God's generous grace through Christ. Christians are called to give cheerfully and faithfully to support the ministries of the church and the spread of the gospel. So we come to the table now. And if the men who are going to serve can come forward and the musicians that are going to play here while the elements are distributed, welcome to come up as well. Brothers and sisters, come to the table to taste again the riches of his mercy. Isn't it easy to just lose touch with the, the heights and the depths of God's grace toward us in Jesus? And then we start getting selfish and self-protective and stingy. And we start toying with the dangers of money at the center rather than Jesus at the center. And maybe you need to repent and pray the sage's prayer. We can be tempted to let money become too much, too central, and we need to repent and pray. Kind of examine our hearts and let the searchlight of the Spirit shine on us and let's respond humbly and repent of sin and trust in Jesus. But don't just stop at repentance. Ask the Lord to help you know and feed on and drink in and be overwhelmed with and be satisfied with and be thrilled with the riches of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ who disadvantaged himself beyond our comprehension in order to advantage us beyond our comprehension. And that will lead us to willingly follow him on the same path, the righteous, wise path of disadvantaging ourselves to advantage others. So let's pray. We're going to distribute the elements. Just let's wait till everyone is served. Um, if you're here and you're not yet a believer, if you're not yet a Christian, if you haven't recognized your spiritual poverty and the debt of sin that you have against God, just let the elements pass, but I, I would encourage you not to let this moment pass. You need to consider, how is that debt going to be paid? You can't atone for your sins, climb some ladder to, to the skies and get in God's good graces. You need Jesus to pay your debt, and you can turn and trust in him today. And if you have questions, any of us would be happy to talk to you about that. All right, so let's pray, and then we'll distribute the elements and participate together. Oh God, you are so great and gracious and so loving and merciful. Would you please help each and every one of us to know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. To be humbled and overwhelmed and thrilled and thankful and joyful over all that is ours because we are yours.
feed us on that grace now, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.